This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. That cross that symbolized horror beyond belief became a symbol of love, a symbol of hope, a symbol of godliness, a symbol of everything good in our world, everything good in humanity, everything that you could hope for, wish for in life, everything you could wish for your family. That's the cross. That's what happened. That's what Jesus did. That's the miracle that I look at. And I don't have to revere the man as a God to revere him as without question in my mind, the most important human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And we are coming up on Christmas, a day to celebrate the birth of this man, this miracle. These are things that this country needs to celebrate more as a Christian nation based on Judeo-Christian history, the history of what we brought to the civilized world. We should all be proud of that every day. trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio. His name is New York Mike and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio. I'm New York Mike. Hey, it's Roll Right Radio. <laughs> I'm New York Mike and I want to thank everyone out there, everyone listening, everybody that tells their friends, especially you guys that comment some personally, I get that. And that's cool. But, you know, you comment on Facebook and wherever, and it doesn't go unnoticed. I'm not really good at responding. I don't do the whole Facebook thing. Patrina's always saying, did you check Facebook today? I go, ah, honey, no. He goes, you got to check Facebook. Okay, <laughs> I'll check Facebook. <laughs> and I do, and, I, you know, I get the comments. I, it's just not me, but I definitely appreciate it the comments. Thank you. And I really enjoy doing this and I couldn't do it unless we have the, the building and growing audience that we have. So thank you for that. Our last episode was about December 7th, 1941. Pearl Harbor, the sneak attack, the nasty, disgusting sneak attack. It was horrible. And that was 80 years ago. I just want to point one thing out. 80 years ago, I read something, and I'm not sure where it was, but, you know, of course, December 7th is always a day when there's a lot of things written, whether it's in Instagram and all the other places that you kind of go and see on Twitter. And I think it might have been on Twitter, but I'm just not sure. But it, it just pointed out that you could divide our history in 80-year quadrants. For 1781, with the victory of the... American Revolution, from 1781 to 1861, the beginning of the Civil War, that's 80 years. And then 1861 to World War II, that's another 80 years. And then World War II to today is another 80 years. That was fascinating. It's interesting. If you take a look at those three segments and then you say, what's the next 80 years going to bring? And I say that because 
when I was talking about Pearl Harbor, I was talking about December 7th, 1941. I was talking about the leadership in America, talking about how we knew what was going on. The world was on fire. Really, the German military invasion of you know them taking over the world started before 1939. But 1939, it was a blazing hot war. We knew what was going on. Do we know all the details? Yeah, we knew more than they want to let on. For years, when I grew up, people would say, didn't we know about the Holocaust? How could that have happened? How could you destroy 12 million people? The Holocaust usually refers to the genocide of the Jews in Germany. That was 6 million people. But we're talking about a total of 12 million people who were destroyed. Yeah, 6 million Jews, 1 or 2 million gypsies. I mean, my God, they went after all the gypsies, the gays, the gypsies, calf. And that was done under, you know, right there in, in the whole world. And nobody saw it. Nobody knew. Nobody heard. That's crazy. So clearly, we knew what was going on. We knew about the Warsaw Ghetto. We knew about these things. We heard about these things. Everybody wanted to sweep it under the rug, quiet it down, walk away. We knew what Japan was doing. We knew what they were doing to China. It was clear when we had American and Canadian volunteers going into China, flying Chinook, the flying tigers. I mean, it wasn't a secret. It wasn't like we didn't know what was happening? And did we think, of course we knew that Japan was looking for fuel supplies. It was clear, as clear then as it is right now. And we see it. We see what China is doing. They talk about it. They, they announce it. They're, they're going to be the world leader. The world is going to answer to them. And they say in, what, 2030, 2035, it's around the corner. It's right here. And they're, they're marching to that goal, in that direction. They're going there. And they're not making a secret about it. They feel this is their destiny, that they're going to do it. They're going to take over everything, the economics, the military. They're going to dominate dictate and they're going to set the rules if we don't do something to stop them neutralize them stop them do something and you're not going to stop them by asking them to stop come on so we see what's going on and we realize it but let's bring it home we know that biden had that two-hour meeting with putin everybody saw it and we were all hoping that he would come away from that in a way that we would stand up and share and say, yeah, let's go Biden. Nope. It's back to let's go Brandon. <laughs> Sorry. There was no backbone there. And him saying that, oh, they're going to be meeting with uh, the NATO allies and with Russia, and we're going to accommodate them. That's his words. The president of the United States is going to accommodate Russia, find out what they want. You know, he approved that pipeline, the Nordic pipeline from Russia to Germany, that Trump had stopped and said no. 
and then Biden approves it. Now, he canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He canceled the Dakota Pipeline. He's starting to cancel the number five pipeline that goes from Detroit to Toronto because of the threat of climate change. But it's okay for Russia to have a pipeline, but they're going to cancel ours. Look, canceling a pipeline was a horrible, horrible decision. But it was made because they said, you know, it contributes to the global destruction of our atmosphere and the world's coming to an end. The heat's going to go to 100 and something degrees. It's going to rise. Actually, the science says it may rise one degree or one and a half degrees over the next hundred years. I don't know. Has it risen by a degree in the last hundred years? And there are scientists on both sides of this issue, by the way. The preponderance of science that's coming out for this are the ones who are getting all their scientific papers paid for by the government. They submit the papers, they get the grants, they get this money for their universities. And do you think the government is going to pay them to say, oh, wait a minute, we don't have a, a real problem here? But there are plenty of scientists that will tell you we don't have a real problem here, that there's nothing new about the rising seas and the hurricanes and how much nothing. So there is some, there's a lot of fragility in our cities. We've built them up. We have to protect so much more than we ever did. There's so much damage that can be done. So if you had a hurricane 40 or 50 years ago, someplace where the population was this, and now it's double, triple. The housing booms in all these areas around Florida and all these other places, Louisiana, which is underwater anyway. I mean, these things are happening. The cost of these events is higher, and it's higher in human lives because people are living in six-story buildings, 10, 20-story. There are stores that are thick. These things didn't exist 30 or 40 years ago. But the ferocity of the weather hasn't changed. Every so often, you're going to get that. But in the name of climate change, I keep saying climate change. I think that's what they're talking about. They canceled our pipelines, and then they approved the Russian pipeline, which they have no control over. They can't make rules. They can't say, listen, you can have a pipeline, but we just want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to eliminate any excess carbon that may be going. Okay, I get all that. But you can't do that for the Russians. You can't make rules and pass regulations, and the Russians don't need permits that are approved by us. So what are you trying to do by doing that? It's just not working. So the reasoning for all this stuff doesn't make any sense. And now they're going to meet with Russia to accommodate them? That's on one hand. And on the other hand, we have people like this GOP senator, I think it's from Missouri, Roger Wickers, who's supposed to be a pretty cool dude, intellectual, kind of calm, smooth, a senator with good reputation. He says, look, if we have to, we're going to exercise first use of nuclear weapons if we, if we have to stop them from going. What? Are you kidding? Now, Tulsi Gabbard, I saw her on TV, and she said this guy must be insane. But then she also talked about the fact that you get the same rhetoric from the Democrats and from the media. 
these people need to see the consequences of these words. This is not something that you just say. Oh, yeah, we're going to use nuclear weapons if we have to. We're going to go in there and, you know, we're for what? In the first place, it's eastern Ukraine. I think it's important that we do what we can to help the Ukrainians keep a democratic state, okay? But does doing that rise to using nuclear weapons? Do you understand what that means? I mean, the destruction, this will wipe out a major portion of the population of that country, Ukrainians and all the neighboring countries. It'll start something that'll be just ridiculous. But, but what? Because of a failure of diplomacy? A failure, again, of our of elected politicians. All of them. This isn't just Biden. Yeah, it's Biden. Trust me, I'm not going to let him off the hook. It's a failure of leadership. The leadership means you've got 100 senators, you've got 435 members of Congress. You need to get together, people. We didn't elect you guys to rattle sabers and, and make stupid threats and comments. This isn't why, but nothing changes. I'm telling you, nothing changes. The human condition has not evolved to any level that we think. Yeah, we've piggybacked on generations for thousands of years, and that's great. So, you know, we can invent things and have things that make life more convenient and easier and improve our health and our lifespans and, and our comfort and our all that. That's great. But we're still the same people. I want to talk about that in a minute, but I also think we need to understand how important this is. This is not something we should just stand by and watch and think that we have to accept. There's only 535 of them plus the president. Let's make sure that in everything we do, that we raise our voices, not just waving placards, standing outside something, stamping our feet. Make sure that we write to the Congress and to the Senate, make sure we write and, and we call and we shut down their phone lines with phone calls. Let them know how we feel. And that's why I appeal to the media to expose all this and talk about this. They always talk about the polls, the American polls. Well, I think people need to make sure that when they're called and they're asked about something, some stupid question, Tell them what you think is important. Don't listen to the question that they want to ask. Answer the question that you want to hear. Take what they say and send back to them an answer that's what you think is important in this country. All these people taking polls, 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 and, and they, they ask these questions in a way that, you know, that they're going to elicit an answer that is kind of sort of politically the way they want it to be answered. Don't fall into the trap. Let's do everything we can to make sure that they hear us and that it gets back to the quote-unquote leadership and let the leadership know. People talk about term limits, like that's going to save us. No, it's elections that'll save us. It's getting out and voting. Not by mail, no. I don't want mass mailings. 
We don't want ballot harvesting. That's all stuff that should be, if, if not illegal, at least make sure that if somebody has to have a mail-in vote, there's a reason for it. You know, a signature, an ID. We want to know everybody who's voting is legitimate. That's important. We know that. I could talk that to death. It's important that we win this debate about the election in this country because that's all we have. And we can't keep on elected. These, and it's no threat to them to talk about term limits. Okay, I'll be in for two terms. That's 12 years. Three terms, that's 18 years. That's a long time. But if they know that people in this country become motivated, say, you know what? Yeah, it's a privilege. It's an honor. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get my friends to do that. Let's raise the percentage of Americans who participate in the votes at the polls that go in and actually vote, not just mailing in hundreds and thousands of these ballots. That's not improving anything. That's quantity. It's not quality. Let's make sure the quality and the quantity are both there, that they arrive at the same time, that the quality of that vote is 100%. Yeah, there's always going to be an illegal here and an illegal there. But let's not make it easy for that. You know, we depend on these leaders to make our lives work. We depend on them. While they're doing this saber-rattling and the Ukraine and all this, what, what is that? I know we see it on TV, we read about it. It's important, yeah, because we don't want it to lead to war. It's important, but you know, most Democrat voters, they don't want Marxism. They don't want CRT point, they're taught in our schools. Democrat voters and Republican voters, they don't want much different. They want a solid country. They want peace. They want all the things that the Constitution gives us. They're proud of being America. They don't want their kids taught that we're a horrible country. They want the truth taught. The truth taught about slavery and, and Jim Crow. And, and oh, yeah, teach the truth. But also teach the truth about, like I always say, truth, justice, and the American way. Teach about the things that we stand for, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom to go out there and start a business, to get a job, to get an education, to redress our government. All the things in that Constitution, the freedom not to self-incriminate, that's the Fifth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, all these things that we have in this country. Ask somebody who came here from whatever, Latvia, from Poland, from Czech, ask, ask somebody that came here from a country that didn't have these freedoms about what it's like to be free. Look at all these people coming here by the thousands, the hundreds, the thousands, the millions coming here illegally, risking their lives to leave their homeland, to take their children, to go through the hardships. I mean, we complain about this all the time, but look at it and understand it for what it is. It's the world being a path to our doors because of who we are. And it's not just Republicans. It's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's independents, it's everyone, every American. 
has the privilege of being in America. This is an amazing privilege for everybody else in the world. Don't keep telling me about Sweden and Denmark and Switzerland. And no, 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 no. You take a look at your America. You appreciate what you got. If you don't, just do it. Take a ride. Go to Sweden. I don't care. You got to appreciate this country. And that's what our schools should be teaching these kids. Sure, we had things that were horrible. We had slavery. We had this. We had that. Yeah. But we've come a long ways. Although the human trafficking that's going on today is slavery as well. It's just different. It's not all the Africans that came over here and was sold to us and sold into slavery. It's different, but it's still slavery. But the, the racial component, that's what seems to be the theme of the CRT and the Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. Well, we've come a long way from there. And if you're going to put us back 100 years, you're not doing us a service, them, yourselves, your kids, your children, your future, nobody. Let's look at the progress that was made and figure out the way we made that progress and move forward. Martin Luther King didn't burn down cities, and he didn't advocate that. And by the way, neither did Malcolm X. So whoever the leaders are that you want to follow, let's appreciate the country because they're trying to get a foothold in this country too, but they're trying to destroy what they're trying to get a foothold in at the same time. So I don't want to say anything anti-black and I don't want to say anything anti-white. I'm kind of tired of words like white privilege. Yeah, I'm tired of, I'm not tired of being called a redneck. <laughs> yeah, because I kind of feel like I'm a Brooklyn redneck. It's okay. But, you know, when I grew up, we all kidded each other. We were all from different backgrounds. And we had Polish jokes and this and that and everything. But we knew we were all Americans. There was a brotherhood. There was a melting pot. And we seem to be forgetting about that. But let's, let's remember something that's important. Let's remember that we're a nation of people. There's a lot more people in this country there's 535 people in Congress. There's millions of us. And what they're supposed to do is set the stage so we can have productive lives. We depend on them. We depend on our leaders to make our lives work. Rules for safety and a safety net for those that have economic issues that they can't overcome. So we want to put rules that allow the majority, the vast majority, to work, to make individual choices, decisions for our own personal lives, our families, for the safety and the decision to accept the level of risk. Yeah, if I want to accept the level of risk, you're going to say, oh, no, you can't do that. Why not? Why not? Tell me why not. Am I endangering others? There's a place where you could say I'm endangering others, but I don't think that you should be able to stop me from maybe working 20 hours a day 
maybe taking on some project that's maybe a little bit more risky than you think is acceptable, so you don't do it. But if I want to, who's the government to tell me not to? If I'm willing to accept the risk, whether that risk is for my own health or the, the health of my business, this amount of risk we're willing to take for our pleasure, for our economic success. And I don't want some micromanaging government bureaucrat to come in. And I don't think anybody else does either. That's not why they're elected. But they are elected to make sure that we are living in an environment. Not, don't tell me this. CO2, the world's coming down. That chicken little bullshit. I'm sorry. Goodbye. If it's okay for China, there's many coal mines. And they open up what? Someone said something like 43 a day. It's okay for China to pollute, but it's not okay for us. We're going to pollute in a disciplined and responsible way. That's what we're going to do. That's what we always do. We're going to really work to make sure that everything we do, we're going to have clean air and clean water. And we're going to pursue that goal. But don't shut down America and then build up the rest of the world. That's not what we elect the government for. We elect the government to make sure that we can thrive and we can build. And what's the difference? You're going to tell me that you're worried about global whatever? Climate and changing and heat and freezing. and Every day it's another thing. And you're going to say it's okay, though, for China, it's okay for India, it's okay for Russia, for Mexico. Oh, but it's not okay here. So we pay the price. My God, it makes me crazy. We pay the price. We can't build, develop, we can't have industries here. We have to buy from abroad. We have to import everything, our leather goods. They're being made. We all breathe the same air. Have you seen some of the pictures from outer space? We send up the space shuttles. We send up the rockets. Take a look at the pictures. The Earth is round. And the atmosphere that's around this globe is the atmosphere that's over America. And as the winds blow and the clouds move, it's the same atmosphere over China. India, Russia, it's all the same. So you're going to say, okay, because I'm, I'm the government of America, we're going to close down this pipeline. We're not going to have oil leases. We're not going to let you use coal and all that because we want to save the earth. But you can't do that here. What you can do is you can create better ways of doing it here so we could still do it. We could still build and we could still develop. And we could still have pipelines, which are a lot safer, by the way, than transporting oil by train or truck and whatever. So we can have that and just keep on working to make it cleaner. That's all. If that's your goal, that's why we elect you people as leaders. The 535 of you guys and the mayors and the government, I get there's a, there's a whole bunch more. But that's why. We elect these people. So we need to learn the lesson. The next 80 years, 
December 7th, 2021 till December 7th, 2100. How are we going to address Pearl Harbor Day, the day of infamy on December 7th of 2100? It's crazy. I won't be here. Well, you know, I did some crazy things. Do you believe in reincarnation and an afterlife and all that? I think about that. I think about that a lot. Do you know what else I think about? Because this is that time of year. I think about Christmas. Yep, Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. And like I just said, we're out there, these leaders, you know, doing all this stuff around the world and China and Russia and all that. But we're out here just trying to make a living trying to take care of our families, trying to improve ourselves, trying to improve our country for the next generation, like our grandparents did for our parents and our parents did for us. We go to work, most of us, every day. We go to school. We educate ourselves, some of us better than others. If there's anything that I look back on and say that, yeah, I, I, I might have, I, I think I missed some opportunities. I think going back to school at some point, I enjoyed going to school. I got out of the military and, and went to the University of South Carolina. I really did enjoy it. And then my dad died. I had to go back to New York. But those three years at the University of South Carolina was so rewarding for me. And then I, I never really took the opportunity and I, I could make all the excuses in the world, but I had the time. And I look back and say, yeah, I should, probably should have done that, taken courses, done things. And, and I have a lot of respect for people that do that. It's not, not there's not a, an economic quid pro quo. It's not like, all right, you, you get out of school, you get out of college, you're in your 20s. You didn't finish, but, you know, whatever, you had to go out and take care of the family. You got a job, you did whatever you did. The fact is, I mean, unless you go to medical school, you go to law school or accounting school or something specific to what you're doing, you're really going to school to improve yourself as a human being, to widen your understanding of the world we live in, to maybe get a grip on the timeline of history. I love that thought, the timeline of history. How do we evolve from the beginning of civilization, the beginning of the times that we recorded things in ways that we could look back and read them and interpret them. How do we evolve to where we I, I read a good amount of books. I used to read a lot more. I'm going to do a podcast about one of the greatest TV series I've ever seen. We're going to talk about that. I might incorporate that into what I'm going to be doing and talking about here in the next few weeks, because we are coming into Christmas, and Christmas is a very special time of year. We celebrate a miracle. Now, I'm a Jew, okay, but so is Jesus. And I look around, my earliest memories of this whole phenomenon as a Jew living in a Christian country, in a Christian world, really, is the confusion of, like, Hey, all my friends, everybody I knew, there weren't a lot of Jews in my school when I was a, a younger kid. I was the first Jew anybody saw at PS 52 in Brooklyn, okay? I remember going there in the fourth grade, and 
these kids were, I don't, I don't remember how it came out that I was a Jew, my younger brother was a Jew. They were like, they thought we had horns. I swear to God, they really were looking for the horns in my head. It was crazy. And yeah, it was, a, you know, there was fights every day and there was, it was just a, a crazy scene, but I earned their respect. I did what I had to do. I was like fourth grade, nine years old. I remember it. I remember the names of all the kids that became friends of mine, but I had to earn that. I took a lot of lumps for that, but it, it always amazed me. They were very devout. It was a neighborhood when most of them went to St. Mark's in Sheeps of Bay, right on Ocean Avenue. The other side went to Resurrection in Gerritsen Beach. And um, they, you know, going to church and going to confession and confraternity on Tuesday nights as when we got a little older. Yeah, that was all part of growing up. And in those days, it was like, they would, on one hand, why did the Jews, why did we kill Jesus? It's like, I didn't kill Jesus. Why did we kill Jesus? And the other hand, it's like, hey, they celebrate Jesus Christ, the Jew. He was born a Jew, lived as a Jew, was a rabbi, and he died a Jew. You never heard about Christianity. They called him Jesus. And I was a little kid, I was like, hey. And I remember when these two sisters next door, the Bennett sisters, I had to be six, seven years old, and we walked down to, if you went down Oriental Boulevard, you came out of the, well, it was the projects. It was the maritime base. It was where the barracks that my father was stationed in World War II, they converted it to a living space for the enlisted guys, and the Bennett sisters lived in the next hut. <laughs> I say bungalow, but the one the bungalow was a hut. <laughs> and... And one day, we walked down, there were two sisters. One was a little older. She might have been 10. And the other one was about my age, maybe a little older. And they walked me down Oriental Boulevard. And you go straight down Oriental Boulevard. And then you go one block, you're on the water. There's the Atlantic Ocean. So, and it was all rocks. And then right there, I'd say, if I'm guessing, six blocks from where the projects were, to where the private homes were, then six blocks down, and then the one block in at the end, St. Mary's Church. A green and white church with a nice steeple and the bell and the whole thing. It's beautiful. Right out of the Saturday evening post. And they take me inside. I'm here, yeah, this is kind of cool. And I go inside, and there on the wall is this wooden cross with the statue of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I go, oh my God. That image has stayed with me my entire life. It's never left. I could see it now in my mind's eye as I'm talking. And the first thought of my mind then, and it still is, he was a Jew. I was a Jew. What happened? You know, I always wanted to know. And so I was very curious. And I learned a lot about it. It's a great story. This man who was a rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda, there's so many different names, but Rabbi Yehuda is the one that I think is the right one. The languages were different. Aramaic wasn't exactly Hebrew, and it was evolving, and things were changing. But this man, without question, was the most 
influential human being on the planet. Now, I know that my Christian friends believe he's the Son of God. They pray to the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and I love and respect that. But for me, he was a Jew. And the story about him is amazing, and I've read books about people that try to put together exactly what happened. What I do know that happened, and I'm going to talk about this more, is that prior to him, and I've talked about this on podcasts before, because I find it an amazing thing for humanity and something that humanity should understand better. The fact he changed the world. Changed the world. Prior to Jesus being crucified on the cross, thousands and thousands of men, people, mostly men, I got to believe it was the men of the towns and the cities and villages that the Romans conquered and they ruled over. And the way they ruled over was with fear. And they would take people who, whether it was criminals or they talked against Caesar, they talked against the ruling class of the Romans and the Roman Empire, they would crucify them. They would crucify them outside the city, and you'd have rows and rows of these poor people tortured a horrible way to die, painful. Terrible. That cross, it was, it was something that horrified all of humanity. Anywhere you go, especially anywhere within the reach to the Roman Empire, this is how they ruled. This is how they intimidated and scared and forced by the use of this method, this crucifixion, this cross. And then they crucified Jesus. And what happened? That cross that symbolized horror beyond belief became a symbol of love, a symbol of hope, a symbol of godliness, a symbol of everything good in our world, everything good in humanity, everything that you could hope for, wish for in life, everything you could wish for your family. That's the cross. That's what happened. That's what Jesus did. That's the miracle that I look at. And I, I don't have to revere the man as a God to revere him as without question in my mind, the most important human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And we are coming up on Christmas, a day to celebrate the birth of this man, this miracle, this miracle. I believe in miracles. I believe in God. I believe in all these things. I don't have to define everything. I read the Bible in maybe different ways. I read it and try to interpret it. I read my Bible. I read the Torah, but not that I can read the words, but I try to understand it. And these are wonderful things. And these are things that this country needs to celebrate more as a Christian nation based on Judeo-Christian history, the history of what we brought to the civilized world 
We should all be proud of that every day. We should not just revere that, but we should proudly in and with a sense of purpose bring our children to understand this, how great this is. And for people who mock the idea that there's a God, you could be an atheist, you could be anything you want. But the idea of God is the idea that man wants to be good, that we, men and women, want to be good, want to pursue a life of goodness, a life that we could look back on in the latest stages and feel proud. Yeah, we're all going to make mistakes, and I made plenty of them, and we're all going to have regrets, and I've got a few. But overall, it's that belief in God, that belief in goodness, all the things that come with that. And here comes Christmas. How do we celebrate Christmas? We give presents. We say, Merry Christmas. Enjoy it. We talk about the three wise men who brought the gifts. We also talk about how Mary and Joseph, they wouldn't let them in the inn. So they gave birth to maybe it is God's child. We're all God's children. In a manger, in Bethlehem, because they couldn't get into any place. They couldn't do it. So they had this child under this horrible conditions, and this child grew up to be a great man. And his life in Israel, and I've been to Israel many times. I've been to his pulpit on the Galilee. I've seen where he taught and, and where he led his congregation on the Sabbath, every Saturday, Friday night, go to the Friday night service, and Saturday, you pray. What a wonderful thing that people come together and pray, and people that follow Christianity, and they go to church on Sunday and pray, they come together, and this is something that this country needs to appreciate more. We seem to be appreciating it less. We seem to be looking on it as something that's not as noble. You know, we talk about the separation of church and state. The separation of church and state. Really? Maybe we should talk about bringing them together. Maybe it's more important. Not that the state should have any influence on the church. Look, the state needs to get out of our lives. The state needs to have as little influence in our lives as possible. That's our job. As citizens of this country, we're in a country where there's no kings and there's no emperors and there's no... We elect our president and we don't throw them out. I don't think we should have automatic, you're out of here. You're... We elect that person and then we change and we elect a different person. It's who we want. The person that runs this country, or who's the head or the president or whatever, wasn't anointed by some whatever. It's not like a king and a queen and their kids are going to be the next king and queen and the prince. And the, the, no, there's no nobility. The religion is noble, and it's so noble, the state should say the heck out of it. That's the separation of church and state that I want to see. But the state should be proud of the church. 
should make it easier in every way for people to go to church, to get together, to have that fellowship, that bonding, neighbor meeting neighbor, stranger meeting stranger, becoming friends, having something in common every week, if they can. This is what it's about, bringing gifts to children, especially the children. And it's what we do. You know, the Marines have the Toys for Tots program. You see it all over the place. Everywhere you go, it's Christmas. There's toy drives. This is a wonderful thing. Let's celebrate that. It's not done because the stores need more business. There's always cynics out there, and we can talk about that. But there's this idea of bringing gifts and toys and cards and putting up wreaths and lighting the houses and lighting the trees and making things. That's what Christmas is about. And while we're celebrating and navigating through this whole miserable time of a pandemic and an inept government that can't seem to get out of its own way and this growing inflation and the threats, we want to be able to celebrate. We just celebrated Hanukkah and I did a program on that. I love that. I'm so proud of being a Jew and talking about the Maccabees and taking back the temple. I mean, this is what we did. We fought wars. We did what we had to do to fight for the right to pray, to take back that temple. It means something. And it needs to mean more to everybody in this country to appreciate that one of the founding principles, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And when they say separation of church and state, yeah, you want to keep it separate. Get the state out of the church. Get the state out of between me and my God. Get out of my way. Now they're threatening to tax the church. <laughs> Who are these politicians? We elect them. Hey, it's you and me. We elect them. We need to think carefully about who we elect. We need to vet these people better than we do. Well, here comes Christmas, and I hope that you look forward to it and plan on celebrating it. No matter how bad things are, no matter how rough things are, let's make it our business to do what we can individually, whether it means giving a little extra to a charity, being a little kinder, being a little bit more the way God wanted his children to behave. You know, you want your children to behave. Well, maybe that's how God wanted his children to behave. Now, being a child of God, think about it. It's important. This is not small stuff. This is how the world got to where it is. It's not a bad thing. People say, oh, all these wars, religion, they just created wars and they created this and they created that. You can dig a little deeper, my friend, and you might find that this is the path that we had to take to get to where we are. And let's make sure that this path is leading us as rough as it seems, as hard as this road can get from time to time. Just make sure it's leading us to a path of a righteousness and a path that's better for the future, for our future generations. Whether it's from slavery to Jim Crow, that was a big improvement on slavery, wasn't it? To whatever and wherever we are now, let's hope that where we're going is in an even better place. Let's hope that everything we do is better, that 
we have better cures. And we're going to cure cancer. We're going to cure stupidity. Wait a minute. Can you cure stupidity? <laughs> I'm New York Mike. Maybe that's a bridge too far. But I want to wish everybody from now on, right until Christmas, because Christmas is a special day. It also happens to be my anniversary. That's right. Christmas Day is the day Petrina and I got married. And I did that for a reason. I love that day. Okay. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Rock Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.